0: Hello, and welcome to Queer as Fiction, where we talk about queer historical media. I'm Jason. I'm Alice. And I'm Eli. And today, in part two of our voyage through the seven seas of queer piracy, we're talking about David Jenkins' 2022 TV show, set during the golden age of piracy, Our Flag Means Death. Before we get started, I'd like to acknowledge the Wawundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast and pay respects to their elders past and present. We recognise them as the custodians of an oral history tradition far older than this podcast. We also have some content warnings for this episode. These are execution, gun violence, and sexual assault. If any of that sounds like something you don't want to listen to, please feel free to check out one of our other episodes. Probably not the one immediately prior to this one, though.
1: Which will be functionally the same content.
0: (laughs) And probably worse, because most of this isn't real. (laughs) Some of it is, though. So I don't need to tell most of you that our flag means death is pretty great. (laughs) If you haven't seen it yet, it's essentially a workplace comedy set on a pirate <laughs> ship. Uh, like, I
1: guess you're right.
0: <laughs> which features a diverse cast of characters, a lot of wacky misunderstandings, and a refreshingly wide array of queer characters and relationships. The leads are Reese Darby as Steve Bonnet, and Taika Waititi as Edward Blackbeard Teach. It's been renewed for a second season after airing earlier this year, which is very exciting and Dear God, of some of the cast, I'm looking at you, Nathan Foad, Vigo Ortiz, and Con O'Neill, been driving the fan base into a frenzy with their love of the fan art and engagement with the community, especially the queer community. Now, this may seem pretty natural. Black sails was a popular show from 2014 to 2017, featuring prominent queer pirates, and even before that, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies always had a fairly prominent queer fan base. Keira Knightley goes so goddamn hard in those movies. I love like <laughs> her so much. <laughs> I was about to say, what are you talking about? And then I was like,
2: oh yeah, the single bisexual meme of the 2010s. Never mind, I'll retract my question.
0: <laughs> yeah, the mummy of the 2010s. <laughs> but why are pirates so queer? How did we get here? And is there any historicity to the, spoiler warning, depiction of Blackbeard and the Gentleman Pirate as queer?
1: I hope you're going to tell us yes, but I suspect you're going to tell us no.
0: <laughs> so I'm going to answer the last question first. And... <laughs> If you've listened to our previous episode, you'll be unsurprised to learn that there's disappointingly little concrete information on which to base a queer interpretation of Edward Teach and Steve Bonnet as historical figures.
2: I am very interested to see if this TV show starts to make claims that there is a historical basis to that common on the internet. I've seen a little bit of it, people mm. saying oh, they did sail together, so I think there actually is something there. I'm pretty <laughs> sure they were gay, and I've just been like, ooh, okay. Well, they did meet. <laughs> they, did, they did meet each other. It's exactly as much as we can say for Josephine Baker and Frida Kahlo. Uh, but I haven't seen that sort of blossom into a full storm of misinformation yet, so I'm very keen to see where this goes. Like, I think the creators are quite
1: upfront about the fact that they're not trying to be historical, and that probably will help, like, prevent
2: that from happening. To a degree, probably, yeah. And I I do think that, like, even if you're not following anything the creators say like just like look at it though (laughs)
0: yeah so for the purposes of this episode i'm utilizing captain charles johnson's a general history of the robberies and murders of the most notorious pirates i would like to note that pirates is spelled with a y Mm. published in 1724 as my major source of information on edward teach and steed bonnet this is for two reasons firstly according to the introduction to the 1998 edition of the book written by english naval historian david cordingly the sections on steed and edward in particular seem to be relatively accurate based on available contemporary historical sources a lot of his information is unique to this book and so therefore can't be verified and his follow-up second volume in particular seems to wholly invent new pirates (laughs) Um,
1: so it's not only that he's making up facts about existing pirates he's just like hey i thought of a cool guy (laughs) yeah but like
0: specifically the second volume i think all the pirates in the first volume are real Uh, okay and there was a follow-up second volume because this was like a really really popular book at the time it had like four or five printings
1: Mm -hmm. and his publisher was like have you got more of that and he was like no that's how many pirates there are And they were like, well, come on.
0: Yeah. But yeah, this first volume seems at least moderately legit and like corroborates with other historical sources okay but secondly given we are largely interested in the development of pirate tropes the fact that this book was identified both by robert louis stevenson author of treasure island and jm barry author of peter pan as a major influence seems particularly relevant this book is often cited as the origin point for much of the cultural perception of pirates so what does captain johnson if indeed that is his real name for (laughs) the authorship of the book is still unclear 300 years later have to say about Edward Teach, Steed Bonnet, and the nature of their interactions. Well, he tells us very little about Edward's early life, simply stating that Teach was a Bristol man born who had fought as a privateer out of Jamaica during the French War, who went a-pirating in late (laughs) 1716. The (laughs) use of language in this book is so fun. (laughs) Yeah.
2: The title as well is great. We just don't title books with nearly as many lines as they could back then.
0: Mm. I also just love the, like, capitalization pounds mm. Mm. I find it very fun. <laughs> so we get some details about how he initially sailed under Captain Benjamin Hornigold, who has a mention in the show, before Hornigold surrendered to the Governor of Providence. Hornigold is a crazy name. <laughs> That's true. Teach, having taken command of a ship that Hornigold captured, armed and equipped it, naming it the Queen Anne's Revenge. It is soon after that he encounters Major Steed Bonnet who was sailing upon his own pirate ship at the time, as in the show, equipped and manned entirely from his own personal funds as a member of the landed gentry of Barbados.
1: So he was legitimately just a guy who was like, "Mm, I've got a nice life, what if I became a pirate?
0: Yeah. And like yeah, this was very unusual. You know, most pirate ships were captured ships or ships that had mutinied away from you know various national navies or privateers that had then turned pirate after a war had ended, etc. Mm-hmm. So both captains had taken several ships by this stage. Like Steed is not the incompetent boob <laughs> that he is portrayed as in the show, but it seems that Blackbeard's conquests were the larger, and he was the more notorious pirate.
1: Mm. I mean, Blackbeard is like the most notorious pirate,
0: right? Oh well, yeah, but I mean part. <laughs> (laughs) that is like the media depiction right although and I think part of it at least comes from what proceeds to happen next okay do tell so yeah I just want to mention also that like as in the show it's hinted by Johnson that Bonnet was unhappy in his marriage and that at least in part this accounts for his on the face of it, bizarre decision to engage in piracy Mm -hmm. but that seems pretty speculative like it's kind of just a bit of a throwaway line so it's one of those Mm. things where I'm like "Mm, this seems like Johnson's just kind of throwing that in there rather than necessarily A lot of his stuff is like, here's, you know, the specific letter that was written by the governor of North Carolina to authorize the capture of these pirates, which is much easier to get than, like, information about the inner workings of the psychology of pirates.
1: Yeah, like, if he was unhappy in his marriage, how could Johnson possibly ever know that piece of information? Even if it was
2: true. Yeah, I guess, like, feasibly in a trial, which Mm. may or may not be coming... (laughs) Someone could say, like, why did you become a pirate? he could be like, I'm gay and I don't love my wife. (laughs) But I understand that's probably not a historical reality.
0: No, unfortunately. (laughs) That's sad. (laughs) That would make things a lot easier. (laughs) So this is what Johnson has to say about the meeting of the pair. Teach, finding that Bonnet knew nothing of a maritime life and with the consent of his own men, put in another captain, one Richards, to command Bonnet's sloop. And took the Major on board his own ship, telling them that as he had not been used to the fatigues and care of such a post, it would be better for him to decline it and live easy and at his pleasure in such a ship as his, where he should not be obliged to perform duty but follow his own inclinations.
1: So despite Bonnet already having been, you know, a successful enough pirate to
0: capture several ships, Blackbeard was like, you're not very good, what if you just, like, hung out? It does sound like Bonnet was very reliant on his first mate and his uh, quartermaster okay. to actually handle the day-to-day running of a ship.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. This is interesting because I did read another like explanation of this, which was that Bonnet was injured mm-hmm. initially, kind of as he is in the show. Mm. And so initially he was just recovering from his injuries on Blackbeard's ship. And then he tried to take back command and Blackbeard was like, no, or something like that. Like, yeah, so I'm not 100% clear on the exact Mm -hmm. nature -hmm. of this. But yeah, it is true that Bonnet spent some time on Blackbeard's ship basically being told to, like, recline and rest and let the real (laughs) pirates take care of things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So how
2: friendly are we understanding their
0: relationship to be? Yeah, we're going to get into that a little bit. So Bonnet would only regain command of his ship upon the departure of Teach, who abandoned much of the crew of his burgeoning pirate pirate flotilla Um, by this point it was like five or six ships i think Mm. in a cockamamie scheme that simply contains too many steps for me to (laughs) explain (laughs) i'm so intrigued there's just a lot of like you know he's gonna take most of the loot and he's gonna you know abandon most of the other pirates and he's gonna like retire and take the king's grace which if you've seen the show you know what that is and you know then he's gonna do some stuff, but the end result is that Blackbeard would later, as part of this scheme, re-emerge as a river pirate who had an arrangement with Charles Eden Esquire, the governor of North Carolina, allowing him great latitude to prey upon vessels in the region. Bonnet, meanwhile, having regained command of the revenge and received the king's pardon in North Carolina, had seemingly intended to join the war between the Triple Allies and Spain as a privateer.
1: Who are the Triple Allies? England? France? The
0: Netherlands? Yeah, I was oh, yeah. suggest the Netherlands. What yeah. war is this? When are we? What's going on? <laughs> it's like 17 17- So, Johnson claims that upon hearing that Teach was nearby, and with only a small crew beside him, Bonnet went to try and hunt him down. Okie dokie. Although he failed to do so, like he just couldn't find him, he'd already left. Okay. And Johnson says that Bonnet bore Blackbeard a mortal hatred for some insults offered him. And this ends Johnson's account of interactions between the two men, who would both go on to be hunted down by naval vessels. Teach was killed in a seemingly epic battle after the governor of Virginia issued a warrant for his capture or death, while Bonnet was captured by vessels out of South Carolina, tried and hanged.
1: I hope the show doesn't end this way. (laughs) Surely not, right? (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) That'd be crazy.
1: That would be... Yeah, no good. They've deviated enough from history. There is no reason to do that.
0: Yeah. It's also worth noting, I think, yeah, it does genuinely seem like Bonnet did intend to join the war as a privateer. But I think what basically seems to happen is that the place he needed to go, there were a lot of storms
1: mm-hmm. and he couldn't
0: get there. And they needed supplies because Blackbeard had taken all the supplies when he'd abandoned <laughs> his pirate flotilla. And so they just kind of were like... Well, no, we're not doing piracy. We're kind of trading with you, but just under heavy duress. Okay. And then eventually they just gave up and went full pirate again.
1: I can see how you would look at the skeleton of this story and be like, hmm, this could definitely fit some gay stuff in this." (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, so there's not a lot to go on there. You can see, as Alice just mentioned, where Jenkins took inspiration from when building out the dynamic between Teach and Bonnet. Blackbeard, from Johnson's account, does seem to have been a man of wildly swinging temperament, sometimes Mm. seeming to have been kind and giving, and other times violent and capricious. This includes his treatment of Israel hands, so memorably portrayed by Con O'Neill in the show, who Johnson tells us Teach shot in the knees while having a drink in his cabin, for no other stated reason than that if he did not now and then kill one of them, they would forget who he was.
1: Yeah, that's deranged (laughs) behaviour. Truly deranged behaviour. So I have an important question about Israel Hands. Mm -hmm. Is that that guy's real voice? (laughs) I really thought you were going to say name. (laughs) No, I spent a lot of time yesterday googling Israel Hands' name.
0: (laughs) Do you mean that? Is that Con O'Neill's real voice? Yeah. It's so dramatic. i believe at least to some extent yeah. okay yeah i mean
2: obviously he is an actor yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, i don't think they're dubbing it with someone else
0: <laughs> 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 it is very distinctive yeah mm. so yeah all of that doesn't really point so much to him keeping bonnet around due to his affection for him so much as it does like you know a bit, a bit of a bout of chivalry one which lasted only a a short while before he betrayed steed alongside many of the other members of his flotilla and like it specifically johnson specifically refers to how he took like the pirates that he most liked Mm. Mm when he betrayed the rest and so the fact that steed wasn't among them (laughs) 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 it's like this is my list
1: of best friends
0: and you're not one and like obviously the show kind of deals with that a bit by you know having Izzy hands as this kind of manipulator
2: yeah mm.
1: yeah it um,
2: doesn't even sound just from the bones of it correct me if there's nuance that i am not aware of mm. that it's necessary to view it as a bout of chivalry it, to me it sounds like he just held him prisoner basically so he could take over his ship
0: yeah like i think that's absolutely as reasonable interpretation mm. as the idea that they were like buddies bodies, mm. <laughs> if not more so clearly in some way or another part of the kind of
2: power play that is behind who is captain of what ship when given that these things were determined by like popularity and mm. force of personality and like personal authority and things like that
0: yeah and i definitely think you know it does seem like part of the reason why blackbeard kind of broke away is that like you know he was developing this fleet and so like you know then he has to kind of lead all these different groups of pirates mm. and deal with all this different politics mm-hmm. and so yeah i think he was like mm, let's simplify this i'll take all the money
1: and the good pirates <laughs> and i'll leave yeah
0: the last thing I want to note here is that many of the visual elements that our flag means death brings to Blackbeard come from Johnson's d- descriptions. The ribbons tied in his hair, the ash around his eyes, which like came from like fuses that were fuses or matches that were tied to the end of his like beard and hair and stuff. <laughs> I'm vaguely aware of this, but it
1: also just sounds completely insane.
0: Yeah, not so much the leather daddy aesthetic of his crew, but we'll come back <laughs> to that a bit later. <laughs>
1: What about the, like, cropped purple
2: T-shirt? <laughs> Is that historically
1: accurate?
0: Oh, totally. It's oh, definitely okay. specifically mentioned. No. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, what about
2: the tattoos? I don't know that Johnson mentioned much about okay. tattoos. Okay. okay. Yeah. Mm, I'm now thinking that in my research, I also didn't really come across any mention of tattoos. Mm. Uh, so that's something that I would like to know more about. But uh, mm. we're all going to remain unsatisfied there. Okay.
0: So. <laughs> So if the interpretation of pirates in general and Blackbeard and Steed in particular as queer didn't come from this initial source of information on them that was prominent in the public eye, or as Eli fairly thoroughly established last episode from any other historical sources, where did it come from? And have pirates always been queer in the eyes of popular culture? It's going to be so crazy if the answer to this one is also no. (laughs) No, Taika Waititi
1: came up with this like last year.
0: (laughs) So one main source on early pirate media depictions is Rum, Sodomy and the Lash by Hans Turley who examines the idea that pirates, in representing a threat to economic and social orders, became associated with sexual transgressiveness and then, via their all-male social order, queerness. Turley starts, naturally, with Johnson's book, and describes how he began the process that turned the pirate into the romanticised anti-hero 20th century readers are familiar with. He quickly turns to sexuality and how the sex lives of pirates are rarely discussed, specifically in Johnson's work but also kind of in general. In speaking of one of Johnson's few allusions to sexuality, a story in which Blackbeard forces his 14th wife to, quote, prostitute herself to five or six of his most brutal companions. Did you say his 14th wife? Yes. Okay. I think the implication here is that he has a wife in every port.
1: Oh, okay, okay, okay.
0: Yeah, to five or six of his most brutal companions before his face, Turley suggests the following. It is as if Blackbeard's sexuality has to be linked with violence and voyeurism in order to be depicted. In an unconventional world, conventional sex has no place. So, like, this is classic kind of exoticism, right? Like, usually applied to the cultures of non-white people, but in this case to another group who fall outside of sort of mainstream British societal norms. Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: And, you know, Turley goes on to describe some of the generational changes in how Blackbeard is depicted from the 19th century novel Blackbeard, which gives him a feminine voice and handsome countenance marred only by his ferocious beard there's a pretty straight line from that to captain jack sparrow i feel yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> to a serious the air quotes here are turleys i have read this biography but a biography written in 1974 that gives him the impeccable manners of a gentleman okay which if- doesn't I feel have any real basis in history. <laughs> yeah. That's what
1: I was about to ask. Is this biography claiming to have got that from anywhere, or just their own imagination?
0: <laughs> As well, uh, yeah, totally calls it a quote-unquote serious <laughs> biography.
2: Yeah, well, we've established, I guess, even from Johnson's book, that there's a fair amount of. Wouldn't this be cool in pirates? Uh, <laughs> even you know, like allegedly. Serious
0: books. So, yeah. yeah. So, anyway, Turley describes how pirates' sexual behavior is generally, as I alluded to earlier, left out of 18th century accounts, although they are simultaneously portrayed as libertines of the seven seas with a propensity to drink, play, and make merry, all to outlandish levels of excess. This connected them to the excesses of the aristocracy in 18th century writing, which obviously is a space that has often been associated with queerness in both fair and unfair ways. Turley then moves on to Daniel Defoe's The King of Pirates, which purports to tell the story of Captain Avery, or Everie, an English pirate who stole the equivalent of more than $160 million Australian worth of loot from a fleet of Mughal Empire ships bound for Mecca in 1695. There was a great deal of mythologizing at the time about Avery's supposed pirate kingdom on the island of Madagascar. Defoe's version downplays some elements of this for a veneer of realism, but uh, still <laughs> plays into this mythmaking in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he's basically like, you know, in Avery's words, it's like, oh, well, like, you know, they said this and this and this crazy things about our pirate kingdom but really it was just a chill pirate kingdom (laughs) but like to be clear there's no real evidence that this ever existed
1: (laughs) so there was not even a pirate kingdom quite possibly yeah okay
0: that's some good rhetorical strategizing there Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. cunning as far as i'm aware we don't really know what happened to avery he may have just died he may have like retired under a new name somewhere Mm. what do you do with 160 million dollars
2: worth of loot
1: yeah. It's
0: a good question. That sounds hard to dispose of. Yeah. And I don't think it was ever recovered, so.
1: No. So it's down there somewhere.
0: Or, you know, it was dispersed enough. Mm. Mm. Who knows? Anyway, Turley takes out of this account this idea of pirates as being, you know, forced by the rejection of wider society to form their own communities, of being unable to return to their families, and in the end, specifically in Defoe's work, not wanting to be pardoned by European society but simply left alone.
1: Sounds pretty gay.
0: Yeah, he's obviously leading the reader to a comparison with queer communities, honing in on a line in Defoe's work where Avery declares that he and his crew look like hellhounds and vagabonds, but when we are all dressed, we expect to look as other men do. To note that he does not define himself as being like other men, but instead only wanting to look as they do.
1: Okay, okay.
0: So yeah, Turley goes on to conduct a, what I would say rather is rather tediously extensive discussion. <laughs> Well,
1: thank you for summarising it for (laughs) us.
0: ...of ways in which pirates differed from societal norms, including the language of the sea, described as a patois of English, Spanish, French, Dutch, and more, which Turley describes as sodomy of the tongue.
1: (laughs) You didn't have to say that.
0: No, I would tend to agree. Uh, What?
1: Sorry. (laughs) I don't have anything further to say, I'm just (laughs) outraged.
0: So you can kind of see the vibe he's going for and while I think he gets a bit myopic in his analysis, I do think there's something here in terms of how writers then depict a group. Like thematic repetition and reflection is obviously an important Mm. writing tool. The idea of escaping the restrictions of societal norms, structures, and laws is one which obviously dovetails neatly with queerness. And so I think, like, whilst I, I don't think pirates were queering anything in yeah, particular, okay. I do think that what pirates represented and all the different ways in which they rejected societal norms... Mm leads writers to connect them with queerness yeah Uh, that's a good salvaging of what i was getting a little worried about
2: (laughs) (laughs) would you say that turley does more broadly suggest that pirates are like queering boats or something like that like does he more into that sort of first reading of it that the pirate experience as they are outsiders is inherently queer in some way
0: yeah i would say that like i don't want to be like super strong on that because like the writing got so dense and he got yeah. so into the weeds on different things mm, that it honestly okay. it just got a bit confusing for me. Yeah. That's- and eventually I was like, this is no longer super relevant. Like I've kind of got what I need out of yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it did seem like he was really leaning heavily in this idea of like everything pirates do is queer and so mm. therefore pirates are queer.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think probably kind of a way to understand that is if a queer person is reading a history book. They might read about pirates and be like, oh, this sounds kind of like, you know, some of the stuff I've experienced of being rejected by society, or if they're looking for a kind of a place to tell their story within history, rather than being inherently queer because they speak English and Dutch.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly where I was about to go with this, which is that queer artists definitely notice this. Like, Byron published his epic poem, The Corsair, in 1814, uh, and fused his image with the legal renegade of the pirate and i mean there's also i don't really want to make like concrete claims uh but robert louis stevenson seems to have had some rumors about his sexuality Hmm. as well okay um and obviously was also writing about pirates so
1: i guess we've got to read treasure island now guys
0: (laughs) (laughs) so we're then gonna like fast forward a little bit (laughs) To sort of get to, you know, not quite, maybe not quite living memory, uh, but um, certainly into the film era. So you start to see uh, like Errol Flynn and Douglas Fairbanks in particular, who kind of cemented the fae swashbuckler with effeminate accoutrement and visual flair, which, you know, then continues in a direct line to Johnny Depp's eyeliner in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Um, and I've got some pictures I would like to show both of you. Please oh, do. Oh,
1: cool. I did wonder if we we're going to talk about how camp Errol Flynn is.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, Errol Flynn is pretty camp, but uh Douglas Fairbanks, though.
1: I've seen the Errol Flynn movie. <laughs> I haven't seen Douglas Fairbanks, but now I have. <laughs> what is he wearing in that first image? Please describe it for us,
0: Jason. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's kind of like a loose black romper kind of <laughs> garment. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly there's a lot of... uh chest on display (laughs) um and not in the usual way that you see with like errol flynn of like the you know buttoned up shirt that's just got a few buttons undone it's just very widely open uh he's also got like you can't really see it in this image because it's too small but he's also got like you know big hoop earrings and stuff are those shoulder cutouts
2: or is there like a different panel that is lighter coloured on the shoulders.
0: So, yeah, they are shoulder cutouts. And, yeah, he's got the, like, you know, sort of pencil-thin moustache, the big hoop earrings, and the, like, yeah, shoulder cutouts with this, yeah, weird black romper situation with a big belt. <laughs> like... There's no when, heterosexual explanation When that. was this? So this was 1926, so okay. uh, pre-Hays Code uh-huh. being introduced. Okay. And,
2: like, how gay did this appear to the general public at the time that looks very he looks very gay to me but in a like 1980s muscle man gay way and i don't know if that directly would have been seen the same in the 1920s or not
0: yeah so certainly like it it does seem to be a little bit yeah, you know, like it's, it's definitely out of the ordinary right mm. um whether it was necessarily interpreted directly as gay yeah I'm sort of a little unclear on. Uh-huh.
1: I understand uh. that, like, Errol Flynn, at least, I don't know about this specific outfit of Douglas Fairbanks, but Errol Flynn was understood to be, like, camp and, you okay. know, like, mm. queer-coded, I guess. Yeah. I don't know his personal, like, sexuality, but was understood
0: at the time to be very camp. Mm. Okay. So as I just kind of flagged, there's also Hollywood's notorious Hays Code system, which banned depictions of homosexuality, um, but as filmmakers experimented with the boundaries of the code, they established that they could create stereotypically gay characters, and that so long as such characters were suitably demonized and condemned within the narratives of their stories, supporters of the production code proved to be markedly silent. Uh, at least in part, this is the origin of like tropes like bury your gays and like gay villains, um, and these associations with uh, not just unlawfulness, since of course homosexuality was in many ways criminalized in many jurisdictions, but specifically villainy mm. uh, helped cement these concepts.
2: Yeah, I can see how pirates are relevant to this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming together.
0: <laughs> yeah, I couldn't actually find a specific like. He is a really queer-coded pirate from the Haze Code era, Yeah. Um, but like, obviously this is the case for a lot of villains, um, yeah, stuff yeah. like the Maltese Falcon mm-hmm. does this, and obviously pirates are relevant to that. So most recently we've seen Black Sails, uh, which flags, ha ha, <laughs> the idea that homophobia and colonial restrictions are one and the same, and therefore that pirates stand on the side of the queers. Of course, this isn't, like, really historically true. Like, Steve Bonnet wanted to act as a privateer for the English colonies against the Spanish. And there's a lot of examples of British pirates, like, refusing to attack British shipping or the harshness of their attacks being altered, such as, like, burning a Spanish ship versus letting others pass on once their cargo was looted. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, pirates weren't, like, entirely opposed to um british rule i mean the fact that you have this act of grace um where pirates were allowed to just kind of Mm. give up their life of piracy um and return to society kind of illustrates that right like they weren't fully Mm -hmm. disconnected um from that society yeah um so this all brings us back to our flag meme. (laughs) oh yeah that's what this episode's about
1: yeah Yeah. now we Um, know why it's gay
0: uh so yeah it's finally time for us to actually discuss our flag means death and how it engages with and kind of deconstructs the tropes of pirate media so i'm gonna basically talk about our three groups of queer characters so you know lucius and black pete and then i want to talk about jim and then finally i want to talk about uh, Ed and Steed. So yeah, firstly we've got Lucius and Black Pete. Uh, these characters really seem like a direct response to Pintel and Regetti, whose names I didn't know until researching this. They're the bumbling pair of pirates from Barbosa's crew in Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs>
1: oh, okay. I was like, who are we talking
0: about? I was like, did I fall asleep for part of this episode?
1: <laughs> those okay. men had names?
0: Yeah, those men have names. Uh, probably just in the credits, I don't know. Um, yeah, they're just like actually gay instead of, you know, in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Those guys are Clearly, like, life partners, they're effeminate (laughs) stereotypes. Yeah. Um, There's that one scene where they just, like, cross-dress, isn't there?
2: Yeah, 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 they do cross-dress. I I haven't seen this movie since, like, it was in cinemas, so. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I was thinking about this, and I was like, yeah, Lucius and Black Pete, especially Black Pete, I feel is mm. very similar in, like, appearance to those guys as well. Yeah. Um, and they do just kind of serve that role of being the kind of bumbling minions of the sort of main characters. Yeah. But I like that Lucius and Black Pete both get, like, fully realised character beats, mm. and they, mm. they have lives outside of those moments and you know their romance in particular is quite interesting and well done because they're kind of on opposing sides at various points but they're you know their connection to each other is more important mm. Mm.
1: Uh,
2: i i'm obsessed with them <laughs>
0: <laughs> tell I us
2: think, more <laughs> i think they're really great i like the whittling part uh black pete is indeed pretty bad at whittling it's true <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I liked how many moments of of like fleeting tenderness between them there was just kind of in the background, mm. uh, which I think like, there's a lot of little things like that that go a long way towards making the characters in this show, not just Lucius and Black Pete, feel like people, mm. uh, not just like a, a flat character who is on the screen when they are the focus. Mm. Uh, I think mm. that's true of, of a lot of that. Like, very much when you start watching the show, they do just seem like, every character has like a quirk yeah uh, but i feel like they all kind of get moments of, of like genuine heart uh and lucius and Black peter are a great example of that there's a bit where like it's at the start of an episode where they just like pan over everyone asleep on deck and uh they take the time to put in like one of them rolling over and putting their arm around the other one like they didn't have to do stuff like that and yeah. it's nice it's really nice we could also talk about like the whole, um, thing that goes on with izzy izzy catches lucius and black pete like Mm. having just hooked up Mm. uh, and like you know has it out for lucius in particular because he's shit Yeah, yeah, yeah um and then like later on he walks in on lucius sketching fangs and uh he tries to like blackmail him for like sleeping with other people behind black pete's back and lucius is just like Okay, like who gives a shit what you have to say? Like, like <laughs> hey, I had sex with this guy, you know. Like, we don't like that's like we don't own each other, like. Mm, mm. Um, which like it was just you know it was just good.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, mm. it's a really good arc for the two of them. Yeah, I think yeah we we get this kind of idea of them, and and this is something yeah you can see in a lot of the interviews is they're kind of talking about how it's like, yep, we're just gonna present this as fine. Mm -hmm. and uh you know everyone's gonna kind of accept their relationships and yeah it is kind of i read this one post about easy hands you know inventing homophobia (laughs) in this universe (laughs) purely to apply basically just to himself
1: I have seen a few posts about Izzy Hands, which are basically like, Izzy Hands comes from a different genre of pirate movie, <laughs> an older genre of pirate movie where pirates were not al- yet
2: allowed to be openly gay. Mm. Mm. It, it is, I think that is a, a whole wormhole we could go down about, like, how homophobia is presented in this universe mm. because um, I have also seen that tweet or whatever it was, and mm. it's very funny, but, like, it's not quite true. Yeah. Uh, mm. Obviously, and I don't think the person who made it really... Mm. Meant it to be, um, where yeah, like homophobia exists within the world of our flag means death, but it doesn't look like uh, early eighteenth century homophobia, and it doesn't, I feel, even really necessarily look like modern day homophobia. Mm. Uh, in yeah, that it's just kind of not an issue except in, like, certain circumstances.
1: It's also kind of like heteronormativity exists, much more than homophobia exists. Like, Steed's whole arc is that he's stuck in this, like, heteronormative life that he doesn't want to be in and he has to get out of that life and, like, make a new life for himself. But there's less overt homophobia towards
2: him and more just he's been forced Mm, into a heterosexual life. I think it kind of treats homophobia as, like, a subset of gender presentation based oppression mm-hmm. where like izzy's problem with ed mm. uh you know kind of having this like burgeoning attraction with steed as it takes him away from this image of masculinity yeah. that Izzy like needs him to live up to mm-hmm. and like obviously then that gets played out with uh ed like shaving his beard off and wearing robes that are purple and stuff like that um like obviously real life homophobia is mm. very linked with gender roles as well and like gay men get you know stereotyped as being effeminate and stuff like that but like it, it really focused on that in a flag means death
0: yeah so is there anything else people want to talk about about lucius and black pete before we Move on. So now we're going to talk
2: about how Eli is gay. <laughs> <laughs> is that not what this podcast is for? I guess so. But I, I guess in particular, like I've I've seen a lot of responses to this show and to its largely male cast that are treat that as as like a failure of the show and and like the one disappointing aspect of the mm. show, um, like typically from uh, lesbians and other queer women. And I think that's totally fair to be clear I'm not mm-hmm. saying like but they're wrong and let me explain how like I, I understand <laughs> that disappointment uh, but I did want to and, and like hopefully next season we do get what everyone wants which is like lesbian pirates and Bonnie Mary Reed showing up um <laughs> but I guess I would like to kind of add a little bit of positivity to just the depictions of masculinity and maleness and male bodies in this because to me that was like the single best part of the show mm-hmm. so Lucius and Black Pete their actors are beautiful men mm. but they are not like leading man unattainable celebrity attractive they're just like two fairly normal looking men. yeah. And I feel like mm-hmm. that is the case for most of the cast. Mm-hmm. But like the, the show treats these like fairly ordinary male bodies with such tenderness and such, I, I don't know what other word I really want for it, actually. Um, you know, like it just celebrates such a diversity of men in like race, in appearance, in body size. And I don't really think that that's something that I've seen Yeah, Uh, very often on camera, uh, on like a show at all, um, people talk a lot about how like, you know, we don't need more depictions of male friendships. We've had enough when people say like, "Oh, why can't these two dudes just be friends? But like, I think that (laughs) that kind of like, like just genuine affection between men, sexual or not, isn't something that we really see that often that isn't then horribly compromised by something else in whatever media we're talking mm. about. Like the scene where Lucius sketches Fangs and like asks Fangs if he wants to be sketched. And this is like a middle-aged man, like a middle-aged fat actor mm. and having it just, un- like there is no point at which this is a joke. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Be like, you have beautiful cheekbones and I want to sketch you. Mm-hmm. Was, was just, That's just fantastic. And I loved it. And I like that Fangs got to be like, oh, someone's appreciating me <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Like, i love fangs I, me think too. He's, I think he's maybe my favorite like minor character yeah
2: i i hope that <laughs> he i think that like a, a lot of the minor characters did get their kind of like little moment i hope that fangs gets more in the mm-hmm. next season mm-hmm. but yeah like like the whole part where Lucius is sketching him and and he says something like no one's ever asked or no one's ever like pointed out this about me before and Lucius just says like you don't know anyone what the damn then and like it's just not a joke like mm-hmm. there's a man sketching another man and it's just like played completely seriously Hmm. and it was great it was so good yeah i liked it
0: yeah absolutely
2: like i did just have moments of like god i love men (laughs) which you know like it is understandable that most of the time on the internet when people talk about men they're being like god i hate men like obviously there's a reason why that's normally the conversation (laughs) but sometimes just like as a queer man it's just nice to be like men's bodies are
0: really beautiful aren't they
2: yeah yeah
0: yeah, uh, so I want to move on to talking about uh, Jim now, but I just want to say before I do, because we're going to talk a bit about Olawande, who mm. I feel is also a really good example yeah, of what we were just talking about. Yeah, like...
2: absolutely. actor is the most beautiful man I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, he's really <laughs> hot. He's so gorgeous.
2: He and Jim are, like, the hottest couple. Yeah. I, I Like, it is, like, obviously people are really focusing on uh, Taika Waititi and Reese Darby and, like, the hot couple that they are portraying. Mm. But, like... But Jim and Oliver want to really give them around for their money. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't care if Blackbeard's wearing a crop top. <laughs> so yeah, there's Jim, who is obviously playing with stories like Mary Read and Bonnie, and a lot of the queer speculation that has come about from their stories, uh, especially in sort of modern takes on the historical literature. Hmm. Um, I love Jim. They probably get the most backstory outside of Steed and Ed, uh, and they're never treated as a joke for their gender. Uh, I love the small details of their presentation, many of which came from non-binary actor Vico mm. Uh The way Jim is the big spoon for Olawande, mm. and uh, the way Jim continues to bind their chest after their identity is revealed to the crew, are both things that came from... Uh, Vico that helped the queerness feel more authentic, and both came from having a trans person in the cast. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Ortiz has said that seeing fan art of ship surgeon Roach giving Jim top surgery has actually encouraged oh, them God. to pursue that possibility for themselves.
2: <laughs> like, I'm I'm glad that they can get a, a real surgeon to do yeah. this. I was
0: thinking about that scene where Roach tries to cut off Lucy's finger, and I'm like,
2: no, 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 no. <laughs>
0: Yeah, they, they said, uh, I guess I'll thank you, Internet, for giving me this beautiful gift of just, I can get that surgery and show my scars and people will know it's Roach who performed the surgery.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, like, obviously,
0: Vico or Tid should pursue this if that's something that's right
2: for them and, and you know, maybe wouldn't actually feel comfortable having their scars be in the show like that. But that would be so funny <laughs> if it just is in season two and there's some light about it. yeah. <laughs> I also um, love Roach, by the way. This is another example mm. of like just absolutely feral background <laughs> character who could have been absolutely nothing.
0: <laughs> yeah, those like those like three other crew, like Roach, uh the Swede, and uh, Buttons? Buttons. Yeah. I love buttons. They're just all so like, what? <laughs> How did they arrive at these characters?
2: <laughs> uh I I I'm derailing really us an awful lot, but the Seagull content in this show. <laughs> Will stay with me forever, um, Livy. <laughs> I, I love that they subtitled Livy. That was one of the best moments in the show. Yeah, that was yeah. very funny. I, I am fine that Calico Jack got introduced into the show because obviously his character sucks and I hate him. Mm. Uh, because it allowed Livy to kill him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. So Jim gets past the idea of gender performance as subterfuge something that happens a lot in pirate media and mm. with villains in general mm. um, like jim is a dark character but no more or less so after their identity is revealed to the crew and they get to live authentically as themselves mm. uh, i'd also just like to add here that in one interview it's mentioned that when the reporter met them ortiz was performing in drag as danny Trejo in a full machete costume <laughs> I did not do that, Connie. Uh Which sounds incredible, and I found a picture.
2: Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, wow,
2: well, I had never considered the drag possibilities of Danny
0: Trejo. And it's so obvious now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I this is from a show of some description yep. uh, that I'm now like, well. <laughs> well. Uh, yeah, I found this on someone's Tumblr, so thank you to the random Tumblr user who had, like, you know, a blow-by-blow episode breakdown of whatever show this is from. (laughs) (laughs) So finally, we move on to our main pairing within the show, uh, Steed and Ed. Um, So romantic, will they, won't they, is a pretty core element of i've written pirate media really most media Um, i thought you were gonna say sitcoms yeah i mean sitcoms as well um desert x-files reference in one of the interviews (laughs) where they talk about you know the Mulder and scully relationship the longest war they weren't they of all time (laughs) um but yeah often we see you know our romantic heroine torn between the restrictions of the establishment and the freedom of the pirate see pirates the caribbean our flag means death teases this with steed and ed emma serrappo writes for the atlantic on a story level that's good you're not supposed to get the big kiss too early but for many fans the suspense of waiting to see if a queer attraction will be acknowledged on screen is anxiety inducing in fact our flag means death's creator david jenkins told IndieWire that his audience was very afraid that the central relationship wouldn't materialize even after they watched that pivotal moonlit scene I didn't realize how deep that fear ran, he said, shortly after the finale was released. People are picking up on it, but they don't actually believe that we're going there.
1: Mm. I think, I mean, I also didn't believe that they were going there, even though I'd been explicitly told they were, because they didn't watch it as it was coming out. But I think the fact that
0: there's so much background queerness, like, does a lot to mitigate that. Yes, so I'm about to discuss this. Good. <laughs> um, but they keep viewers from being too nervous, knowing the history of show's queerbaiting audiences. As Serapo puts it, Our Flag Means Death handles television's legacy of letting LGBTQ viewers down by making the show undeniably queer, even mm. if Steve and mm. initially don't appear to be. It introduces multiple characters whose LGBTQ identities and relationships are treated as unremarkable in their milieu. When the ferocious first mate Izzy Hands catches the crew members Black Pete and Lucius hooking up, he's angry not because he's homophobic, but because they're slacking off. (laughs) When another crew member Jim starts using they/them pronouns, their comrades quickly and easily accept them as non-binary, and Jim gets a moving romance with their best friend Olawande.
2: I don't know that they do quickly
1: accept (laughs) this. They had that one scene where everyone like asks Jim uncomfortable questions. There's a it's, it's multiple scenes. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah.
2: But also what I was thinking is that, I, I don't remember exactly where this was, but, like, quite late in the series, uh, characters on the ship are still using, like, both they pronouns and he pronouns for Jim. And we also have that part on the island, the orange place. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, is
2: it St. Augustine? Uh, yeah, yeah, I that think sounds so, right, yeah, St. Yeah. Augustine. Which is obviously, a, like, a different environment where the the nun accepts that Jim is Jim and calls Jim Jim, rather than their dead name but like uses she her pronouns and so i did kind of wonder like what the show's thoughts were in that pronoun use which i assume Mm. was quite deliberate yeah Mm. i mean and also does use their previous name as well. oh okay yeah i missed that sorry i I know that um she did call them jim but yeah i guess not exclusively
0: then yeah 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 in that in that subsequent discussion Mm. uh that for context (laughs) um jim's grandmother Uh, or like not grandmother but just like like mother figure yeah Yeah. has with Olawande and Jim yeah she uses their previous name
2: okay I'm not trying to like call the show out this is obviously like a show that is gonna be deliberate as I said and how it does these things but yeah I was just kind of wondering like what pronouns will Jim use going for
0: yeah yeah I definitely think this you know interviewer is kind of brushing over things Mm. a little bit obviously because like in comparison to, yeah. you know, both reality and mm. you know other depictions of trans people in media, obviously is easily and quickly, Mm-mm. but yeah, yeah. just not you know necessarily complete. It's not a complete mm. ease, um, yeah.
2: And yeah, like I think
0: that the comment
2: in that review is like largely fair, mm. um, but you know we can we've got more time than they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't feel like necessarily Jim's like wrapped up and is just the whole coming out and finding their place bit is done uh, i am interested to see what happens in in season two i guess
0: yeah i mean we're definitely getting more jim content right yeah. like gym, oh yeah jim's <laughs> now on blackbeard's crew and you know they're gonna be i mean obviously this will give them more opportunities for revenge but will but it has also separated them from all and mm. yeah that's gonna be interesting to yeah about.
2: what like fully 25 percent of blackbeard's crew yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> apropos of nothing uh i liked this tidbit from the same indie interview um where the interviewer says it does seem like they can go just about anywhere and fast steed got out to that little island pretty quickly <laughs> and- i did think about that when he rode up to that island i was like
1: were you in england are they in the caribbean did you what's but what? whatever
2: um, well, steed's like home is not in england yeah no steed's in barbados yeah or at okay, least yeah. historically he's from barbados yeah. he's
0: from miscellaneous he's from somewhere it's
2: certainly in like the west indies okay so.
0: okay um anyway jenkins responded with that's game of thrones logic it's game of thrones geography you have to break that out occasionally yeah. <laughs> well, yeah i feel like it's okay for this pirate sitcom to do it i still don't
2: think it was okay for game of thrones to do yeah, it yeah no that's i, I found yeah. this
0: very sassy so yeah. get wrecked dan and dave once yeah. again yeah um, so <laughs> i did want to uh lastly touch on something i flagged much earlier in the episode which is the leather biker aesthetic of blackbeard and his crew i like how you've now said leather biker instead of leather daddy (laughs) (laughs) that's true yeah that's true i did get a bit less saucy as i moved along in my script writing apparently so yeah i really like how much the combination of that visual nod and the way his crew act um you know we, we talked before about fangs helps frame the conflict in ed's head as less being about masculinity versus homosexuality like he's still gay either way <laughs> as stated <laughs> truly or not by the villainous calico jack um who refers to having slept with blackbeard mm-hmm. uh, obviously he's being duplicitous so like uh, is he just trying to get in steed's head unclear I mean, who doesn't
2: occasionally claim that they've had sex with their prior best friend to that friend's new boyfriend to mess with them? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, then, and then piss on them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh. But yeah, either way, it's really just a case of what that lifestyle looks like for him and whether the persona of Blackbeard is self-destructive and you know what that means for Blackbeard's self-identity. But it's, yeah, it's not... It's not a conflict between homosexuality and heterosexuality mm. or homosexuality and masculinity, which I liked. I yeah. think that was mm. well done. And I think also is another way in which the show kind of helps you be like, yeah, okay, we the show is very gay. We're going <laughs> to get to Stephen Dead <laughs> eventually.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know how it links into what you've just said about this kind of like, um, not struggle, but, you know, negotiating internally between like different forms of existing uh, as a gay person mm. um but i did like how much blackbeard and steed's burgeoning relationship and blackbeard's like maybe learning to not just wallow in toxic violent mental illness mm. uh was to do with like soft small touches yeah i think it was a really nice way of characterizing him that didn't make him just seem like Captain Charles Johnson's Blackbeard, who mm. I don't ever want to meet <laughs> and hate a lot. Yeah, Yo. uh, You know, the very first scene we see, I mean, he picks up a piece of, I believe it's cashmere, Steve mm. says, and just like touches it to his face. And there's a few other moments like that with fabrics in particular. I feel like you could say just a lot about fabric in this show. Oh, um, yeah, definitely. Fashion historians should really like deep dive into this um but like also at the end of the episode where ed reveals that he was going to kill steve and burn his face off (laughs) and he's like sitting in the bathtub like having a cry and he just like puts his head on steve's arm Mm. on the edge of the Mm. bathtub and it's nice
0: yeah yeah
2: obviously there's the iconic moment in the moonlight where he puts the little piece of silk as a pocket square yeah um
0: so yeah Yeah, I I think my personal favourite little tender moment between them was when they're um, captured by the British and they're, like, forced face down onto Mm. the deck and then um, Ed, like, just sort of touches his boot against Mm. Steed Yes, um, to end the episode. It was just very, very sweet. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yes. Um, I think, yeah, that comes back to a both a really good subtle way to up the chances that the audience will understand that this isn't queer baiting, hopefully which obviously it isn't and be a good way as we've said of just kind of adding that depth of characterization without having to like stop an episode to like put more lines in or something Mm. like that it was really nice i feel like you can just tell that everyone really cared about the show they were making it's good Nice. yeah
0: and obviously yeah like i mean as with a lot of shows that are set in like ships and other sort of enclosed environments i guess it's really like a workplace sitcom thing um in general is that it's really easy to have that uh dimensionality of space where you mm. can show people in the background doing stuff mm, yeah that's yeah. true yeah um which allows you to develop relationships even when they're not the focus of the scene mm. um which is something you spoke about earlier and we've kind of mentioned a few times with different characters mm. we don't need to go into this in depth or
2: anything like that but but i also love on the topic of having characters be more fleshed out than they had to be that we bother to go back to mary mm. and we don't just have mary be the wife
1: yeah you know? mary's yeah.
2: great mary's i love fantastic i love her i love how australian her accent <laughs> is, but not in a like steve and way just in like that's just how like actual run-of-the-mill australians talk yeah yeah in in a very strong way and i thought that was great and i love that she's got a little painting career yeah 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 Um,
0: doug seems great
2: doug seems great yeah doug seems like a good guy
0: um yeah i mean and also her whole little cast of like friendly widows (laughs) Um, yeah (laughs) (laughs) one of them's a lesbian (laughs) (laughs) um uh yeah yeah that whole episode was so much fun and yeah so i'm really looking forward to a new season of this show see more of uh all these queers and how they get about and hopefully (laughs) are reunited with each other every couple has been split up at the end of the season
2: except mary and doug
0: except for mary and doug (laughs) well that's it the show's homophobic So with that, we've been Queer as Fiction. I'm Jason. I'm Alice. And I'm Eli. And if you've enjoyed this episode, you can check out Queer as Fact on Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, or wherever good podcasts are found. You can also follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook as Queer as Fact. If you'd like to support this podcast financially, we have a Redbubble store where you can purchase merchandise such as Queer as Fact t-shirts and mugs, and a Patreon where you can enjoy perks such as voting on episode topics and access to our monthly newsletter. Uh, all of this information can be found on our website, Fact com alongside source posts if you'd like to read more about our episode topics thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time